The interesting thing about farmland is that it's the farmers, the crop that they're farming on that land is based on their operational efficiency. So if you're a farmer, you want as much land as possible and you want to grow one crop year after year after year. And that's how you get maximum operating efficiencies. Well, that's actually the worst way to get productivity from farmland. Hi, welcome to Ready to Scale Season 3. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor, syndicator, and operator of multifamily properties. And in this season, we're going to focus on dialogues that drive success. Building real wealth is not a fairy tale nor rocket science, but there's so much to learn. So grab a cup of coffee and join me each week for in-depth conversations with successful real estate investors. Conversations that are designed to help you drive your wealth, investment, knowledge, and lifestyle to the next level. And of course, you can always go to my website, elliperlman.com, to read more about investing passively in multifamily. everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman, broadcasting from Providence, Rhode Island. Today on the show, I have Craig Wishner. He is basically in farmland, and I want you all to hear about, you know, farmland and what he has to say. He really wants to be here to educate you guys and diversify your portfolio. That's the main reason why we're recording this. So Craig has helped manage his family's multifamily real estate portfolio for over 25 years. He founded Farmland LP in 2009. Basically, his company converts conventional farmland into organic and combine real estate management with biological science with private equity, and they create sustainable farmland management company, which is pretty awesome. His portfolio has about 15,000 acres and about 175 million in asset under management. An interesting fact is that Farmland LP was ranked 50 most innovative companies in the world and 10 most innovative food companies by Fast Company. Craig has a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry and Molecular Biology with a minor in Economics from the University of California. San Diego. And another fun fact, we just found out that Craig was back in 2000. He used to live really close to where I used to live in Santa Monica. So with that, I would like to welcome Craig to the show. Hey, Craig, how are you today? Hey, Ellie, great to see you. Yeah, absolutely. So we we had a little bit of a chat before we hit the record button. And you know, one thing that was interesting that you mentioned is that you really want to educate our listeners about farmland, not many players in your field and not many investors know about this asset class. And that's why we have you here today. But maybe before we get into it, I would love to hear about your path. How did you end up from biology and science to buying farmlands? Great. Well, one of the interesting things that we do is switch farmlands management from a chemical-based management system to a soil biology-based management system. And it results in healthier plants and increased yields and better quality production on that. But that science really has a wonderful impact on the kind of farmland that we buy and the kind of agriculture that we pursue. But I've kind of always been a science geek since I was a kid and really loved science. I I picked UC San Diego because it had a great genetic engineering program. 
and actually helped start a biotech company. And we took that company public. It developed a treatment for metastatic brain cancer and, and oh. took that company public. You know, but I'd grown up doing commercial real estate when I was a kid. So my dad ran the electrical engineering. He, he's a, my dad is a PhD in nuclear and chemical engineering, ran the electrical engineering division at Lawrence Livermore National Lab, one of the government laboratories. But nights and weekends, the kids would be playing in parking lots of our apartment buildings while my dad was inside changing toilet plungers or fixing garage door openers. So that was really how I grew up seeing what that hands-on real estate management was. And as I got older, then, you know, just really seeing all the financial side of that management. But I really had the science bug and went to school for that, as I described. But over my career, really the the real assets, cash flowing real assets from an investment side really were important to me. And after the birth of my daughter, I really went through an inquiry of thinking about what was I really doing to make a difference for her generation and really spent two years kind of thinking about that. That was right around the 2008 crash. And Mm. so also had some front row seats to the financial crisis and the impact of debt on the price of assets all around the world. And one of the things that was really interesting was seeing how just the price of debt that changed in 2008 dropped asset values by 40% all around the world. And looking at kind of the Fed, thinking about, okay, they have two choices. One, let it all kind of wash out or two, double the money supply to get us back to kind of a nine to one leverage ratio. And either way, I didn't want to have much to do with leverage at that point. And so I was thinking about leverage, was thinking about sustainability, loved real assets as well, had spent 10 summers growing up on a farm. And that really came together in me looking at buying farmland for myself to diversify my own portfolio. We care about climate change. And so identified certain areas that were great, that would be resilient in the face of climate change. And I went up to look at buying farmland for myself and just saw that this is wonderful asset class that we could really increase cash flow on the assets by converting it to organic, using regenerative agriculture best practices. But it really wasn't going to work at the scale that I was thinking about at that time, uh, that I needed at least $10 million worth of farmland if I was going to drive the tractor. And I needed at least $50 million worth of farmland to do our crop rotations and our regenerative agriculture practices if I was going to get the cost structure down to an institutional level. And I'd been doing private equity and venture capital for a while at that point. And so really that road trip up to Oregon kicked off what very quickly became my full-time activity. And I've been doing it full-time for the past 12 years. That's amazing. And I think, you know, we we touched on the asset part of the conversation, which is why farmland? And I think you, you gave a pretty interesting answer. Staying on the topic of farmland as an asset class, you know, most investors would think, okay, There's a land, you know, that you're purchasing, but unlike, you know, retail or multifamily or office where the challenges are pretty, you know, straightforward, meaning if companies close down, if the economy is suffering, then you don't have as many 
companies that would want or able to rent the office space. If there's a virus and maybe some, and people are losing their jobs, then a lot of tenants may not be able to pay their rents and multifamily in that asset class. What are the main challenges or the main hurdles that you had to deal with when it comes to farmlands? I mean, what can go wrong in the farmland? Great question. And part of it is understanding just fundamentally how it works. And then you can look at kind of how it breaks as well. From a fundamental how it works perspective, the first thing is farmland grows food. And people, if there's an economic downturn, they don't stop eating. So you basically truly have 100% occupancy on farmland. Okay. Hmm. And the really interesting thing about farmland is so there's $2.7 trillion worth of farmland in the US. That's the same economic value as all of the office buildings in the US or all of the apartment buildings in the US. Huge amount of farmland and 54% of farmland is leased. So farmland is commercial real estate, just like the other asset classes. Some interesting things about it. There's only 14% debt on the entire sector. Wow. Uh, so if there's a credit market crisis, you're not going to have a bunch of farmers being forced to sell their land. So it's very resilient. And you see that over the history over the last 90 years. And there's also very few asset managers in farmland. So only 2% of farmland is institutionally owned, unlike mm. all the other asset classes. And we're actually one of the 15 largest farmland managers in the US. And we're the largest that focuses on organic and regenerative agriculture. The really interesting thing about farmland as commercial real estate is that the value of farmland is based on the value of the crops that you grow on that land. So if you're growing low value commodity crops and 53% of US farmland grows two commodity crops, corn and soy. So if you're growing those low value commodity crops, let's say average, you're generating $1,000 an acre on corn, your farmers are paying you about $300 an acre on rent. Okay. And that from a cap rate perspective is reflected in the value of that farmland. Okay. The interesting thing about farmland is that it's the farmers, the crop that they're farming on that land is based on their operational efficiency. So yep. if you're a farmer, you want as much land as possible and you want to grow one crop year after year after year. And that's how you get maximum operating efficiencies. Well, that's actually the worst way to get productivity from farmland. Farmland really benefits from diversification, having at least four crops growing in the ground, ideally four crops growing each year and rotating over a 10-year period. And so it's our fundamental insight basically is looking at farmland and saying, hey, we can approach this as a farmland manager rather than a farmer. We can buy this land, identify the best crops to grow in rotation, mm. and then bring in the best farmers for that crop the crops that are going to generate the best soil health, as well as the best economics. And when you do that kind of rotation, it's very easy for us to get the land certified organic and do that kind of crop rotation. And those farmers there, by switching it to organic, we take advantage of the 50 to 200% price premiums. And so instead of, and we've demonstrated that instead mm. of getting $300 an acre rent, we take it through a three-year organic conversion process and we get $700 an acre rent. So very straightforward. That's what we've demonstrated over the years of managing 
of managing that farmland. What can go wrong? Normally in conventional agriculture, you're completely subject to the global commodity markets for the price of the crop that you're growing, for corn, for example. And one of the nice things about farmland is that you have wonderful government-subsidized crop insurance. So the government pays, ensures that crop insurance is in place, ensures that the insurance providers are very liquid, and they pay 40 to 65% of the crop insurance premium. So Hmm. if you imagine this, if there's not enough food on the table, then it's a national security issue. So the government and society has a vested interest in making sure that the farmers are successful, no matter the crop cycles, no matter the economic cycles, no matter the weather. And so that's also an advantage of owning this farmland. The thing that we do is commodity crop farmers don't get paid for quality. They just get paid for delivering the cheapest product that meets the minimum spec we'll convert some of that wonderful land over to growing organic blueberries uh, mm-hmm. with Driscoll's or wine grapes or organic vegetables. And there we do get price premiums and that really increases the returns as well. That's actually very smart because when you switch to organic, you're basically, you're making sure that you're going to get the highest net operating income. And the government is also, because of what you do, the government is incentivized to help you and help the farmers basically get paid. And so it's very similar to acquiring an insurance that is going to pay you at least half of the rent if the tenant stops paying for some reason. I don't think this insurance exists, but if it does, it doesn't. But it's going to be a great tool to kind of lower your risk because a lot of things can happen you know, when it comes to crops and, and farmland. So I think this is a very unique, you know, tool that helps you reduce your risk, which is really interesting. And that leads me actually to the next question and the next part of our conversation around the process of evaluating farmland. So now that you have that tool as an insurance, that actually helps when you run the numbers, when you look at a deal and try to make sure, you know, try to assess whether this is a good investment If you can walk me through the process of evaluating a farmland, what do you look for when you're trying to assess whether you want to purchase that specific land? That's great. When we started, we basically looked all over the world. We used, this was over 12 years ago, and I'm a tech geek as well. So we used a lot of GIS tools. And I actually, since UC San Diego, studied the science of climate change, the biophysical nature of increased carbon dioxide and global warming. And so we really factored that into our buying strategy. But at a very simple level, when we're buying farmland, we're looking for three things that we say, sunshine, dirt, and water. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. sunshine is a great growing climate. Dirt is high quality soils that have the capability of growing high value crops. And third is water. And that's both physical access to water and legal ownership of water. It used to be harder to understand our focus on water and we didn't talk about it a whole lot. Now it makes a lot more sense to a lot more people that we, from the very beginning, we've seen that actually water rights 
are completely mispriced in the market. And that Mm. you could have two pieces of farmland right next to each other. And one property has great soils and great water rights. The other property right next to it has very poor soils and poor water rights. And yet they'll both trade at about the same price. Why? Because the financing that's available from the farm credit system just prices irrigated land at the Mm. same price for that county. And so that's the debt that's available. That's what the appraisers use. And again, only 2% of farmland is institutionally owned. So most of farmland is just sold farmer to farmer, and there's not a lot of high transaction volume. So our focus is very much on analyzing the soils, analyzing the water rights, and most importantly, buying at least $50 million worth of farmland in one tight geographic area. So we can have an on-site farm manager uh, on that mm. land, essentially converting it from a class C property to a class A Makes property, sense. convert it to organic, improve the irrigation systems, get it certified organic. We get the land certified organic. We develop the crop rotations that are going to maximize that soil health on the land. And then we'll find the best tomato farmers and the best corn farmers, the best green bean or grain or livestock farmers to be part of that rotation. And we can give them long long-term leases on this farmland so they can grow those premium crops, get the premium prices, and result in us getting the premium rents as well. So right now we have farmland in Northern California, Oregon, and Washington after really looking globally and finding that U.S. farmland is really tremendously high quality. Certain areas are very resilient in the climate models. Like We basically by farmland, we asked ourselves the question, you know, assuming these climate change models are true, in 2050 and 2100, where are we going to wish that we had bought farmland Mm. back in 2010 and 2020? (laughs) And so that's where we've focused our strategy. That's where we've been buying farmland with some of the oldest, most senior water rights in the country. And, you know, unfortunately, climate change is happening. The, The impacts of it are happening a little bit earlier than we projected, but it is happening on trend. Interesting. That's very interesting. And I'm asking the same question before I buy multifamily. Where do I want to buy today that I would say 10 or five years from or 20 years from now, that that was the right place to buy? Looks like right now it's almost everywhere in the US because just show me a market that is not exploding, but there's still some clear winners. And so, yeah, I like the scientific approach of looking at location, but also at the dirt, at, you know, the water quality. These are all, you know, it's, it it would be similar to us looking at properties and, you know, taking a sample of, of the road or the bricks and try to assess how resilient the construction is. It's not something that we do. We look at the year of completion and that guides us how well the building was built, but it's not obviously you know, perfect. I want to talk a little bit about the strategy or exit strategy. So when I'm thinking about what you're doing, I, you know, I understand the business, I understand how you find deals and how you analyze them and the business plan of converting them into, you know, first of all, buying multiple lands and placing a manager to manage them, find the farmers and, you know, convert the farmlands into organic. So, you know, you can get higher income, but what is the exit strategy? Because one exit strategy would be just to buy and hold and keep, you know, renewing those leases. Another one would, would be, Hey, we're, we took a farmland, we turn it into organic. Now it makes more money. It's worth more. 
And now we can flip and sell it to someone else. But as you mentioned, you know, only 2% are institutionally owned and there's not that many. I don't think the market is that developed, which is also an opportunity for you to buy because you don't have, you're not participating in the round with 30 other buyers. So what is your exit strategy? That's great. So in general, we have a very long-term perspective on farmland and we want to provide the investors with the ability to stay in long-term if they want to. We also understand that people want to get out as well and could want to get out at any time. Since we're adding value to farmland, you know, it, it takes a lot of work to find the farmland, then convert it to organic or plant organic blueberries with triscolls or wine grapes or other crops like that. So our first fund, for example, was set up as a 30-year fund with a six-year lockup and then twice yearly redemptions. After mm-hmm. that, we would distribute cash flow along the way. So it's been over 11 years, we have about 95% of the investors still in that fund, even though they can get out at any time. Our second fund is just about to close and that has a seven-year lockup remaining. And then the investors will have the option to stay in or exit in whole or in part, whatever they want. So from that institutional perspective, the 2% of institutional ownership perspective, I really view farmland as going through the same transition that office buildings and REITs went through in the 70s. So before that, you know, Sears as a company had to build its own office building, (laughs) Sears Tower. And all these companies had to invest tremendous amounts of money into their built infrastructure. And then in the 70s, they created the REIT legal structure. And so all of a sudden, professional investors could own these buildings. The companies were able to unlock a tremendous amount of capital. Instead of getting low teens returns, they could get 20, 25 percent returns in the marketing sales and distribution of their business. Well, you know, and we would never think today of forcing a company to buy its own office building as a startup. But for farmers, like the average commodity farmer has eight and a half million dollars worth of land and equipment, and they make about $250,000 a year. And that means new farmers, if they want to get in, even if they're organic farmers, have to kind of compete at that scale. And, you know, we've bought properties for $30 million, $37 million. You know, many farmers don't have that kind of capital. And they also don't have the wherewithal with only making only $250,000 a year to take their land through that three-year organic conversion period. And so that's the real opportunity of capital in this space is to be able to buy that farmland, take it through that conversion period or plant the blueberries or the wine grapes and have really wonderful economies of scale, but not try to do it all as an operator. We do operate about a third of our farmland. We lease out two thirds of our farmland. That's in the best interest of of all the investors. We do all the farming at cost for the investors. And so, you know, that is a very nice structure for farmland. It gets us wonderful economies of scale. And then the investors can, you know, there's a few years of no cash flow. And then that cash flow really ramps up nicely as all the as the organic comes online, as the permanent crops come online. And then they have this wonderful cash flowing asset that they can basically stay in forever if they want, or they can get out regularly as well. And in the future, we'll have some more fun structures, but that'll happen as we scale up. Very, very interesting. And I think, you know, I like the flexibility of having a certain period where you know that you need to stay in and that your investment is not liquid, but then you can, basically there's a redemption option. So I think that's very interesting. 
especially with farmland, because every year it's worth more and the cash flow should increase over time. And those returns are probably important to mention, which is that over the past 90 years, farmland has generated 11% annualized return unlevered. Half of that from cash flow, half of that from appreciation. So the investors really can, and we use modest leverage. We're at about 30% leverage on our funds. So it's generating you know, nice returns. The investors, even during that period without the cash flow, you're still seeing nice appreciation in that farmland. And I'll talk a little bit about inflation just for a second, which is that one of the really interesting things about farmland, as I mentioned, that the value of the crops determines the value of the farmland. And so what you have now is you're seeing inflation and some pretty substantial inflation overall. In fact, global food prices last year went up 40%, which in the US with less than 10% of our household budget spent on food, it's not as impactful, but in other parts of the world, it really is impactful. So as inflation increases, as food prices increase, that actually increases the returns to farmland, increases the cash flow, and increases the asset value. So farmland really is a primary beneficiary of the inflationary trends that we have in the world today. Awesome. Before we move forward to the last part of our conversation, is there anything you wanted to discuss or add to the conversation? So one thing that might be interesting for your listeners is just to talk about the value of water, because I really think it's one of the most mispriced assets around. And again, the value of farmland is based on the value of the crops that are grown on that land. And irrigation dramatically changes the returns. In fact, the land behind me is our 6,000 acre property in Walla Walla, Washington. And at the top of the property, there's these beautiful rolling hills that doesn't have water rights right now, but grows dry land wheat. Dry mm. land wheat is a low value, non-irrigated crop. And that land is valued at $900 an acre. Okay. But that land is really beautiful quality land. And actually on the 6,000 acre property, we have 1,800 acres that are irrigated that have great water rights. Irrigated corn, for example, commodity corn, land that grows irrigated commodity corn is worth $12,000 an acre. Oh, wow. That's significant. Very significant increase. And actually, if I move that irrigation system up to this part of the land, this $900 an acre land would be worth $12,000 an acre. But if I were to plant wine grapes there, wine grape land is worth twenty dollars to $25,000 an acre. Okay. Wow. Again, just based on the value of the crops. Now, why? Because mm -hmm. corn generates around $1,000 an acre and $300 an acre rent. When we grow wine grapes, we generate eight to $10,000 an acre and net $4,000 per acre for our investors. So nice big return there. But here's the really wonderful thing about it is that one acre of corn requires three acre feet worth of water. One acre is about the size of a football field. One acre foot worth of water is one foot deep over that football field. And corn requires three acre feet worth of water to generate one crop that generates $1,000 an acre. Okay. Wine grapes only require half of that amount of water. Hmm. Okay. So for the same amount of water that generates $1,000 worth of corn, I can actually grow two acres worth of wine grapes. So not eight to $10,000, but 16 to $20,000 worth of wine grapes on two acres. And those two acres in combination are worth 40 to $50,000. 
in total. So just by adding water, using it more efficiently, you can dramatically affect the value of the land. And then you ask, okay, well, what's the value of the soil versus the water? <laughs> and how are you going to use the water? And that's a lot of kind of the fun and the alchemy and science of, <laughs> of what we do in farmland. Now I definitely see the connection between your education and passion when it comes to science and biology and farmland, which is pretty interesting. You took a piece of real estate, a piece of land, and you added, you know, you threw science into it. And voila, you have an innovative cash flowing asset class, which is pretty awesome. So Craig, before we move forward to the last portion of our conversation today, which is the lightning round questions, just wanted to quickly ask you, a lot of our listeners, you know, family offices and investors, they're investing in multifamily retail and office. So they're familiar with the returns that they can expect, especially, you know, these days. Can you touch on the returns in the farmland asset class, especially in what you do today? What should investors expect? Great question. So Overall, average farmland has you know, generated this 11% annualized unlevered returns, half from cash flow, half from appreciation. In our fund one, the investors are up in the asset value over 70% net after fees, after carry, after everything. And then we've also done significant amount of distributions as well uh, on that. And the second fund, that's in the process of closing. These are projected. If anyone's interested, they should look at the PPM and ask us questions about it. But basically we're looking at over the next little over seven years, a two and a half to three X equity multiple on that. That's around a 12 to 14% IRR. Part of that is because of the, these kind of transformations that we're talking about on the land, taking it from dry land wheat to organic blueberries and triscals and wine grapes and other wonderful permanent crops like that. All right, Craig, thank you so much for that. And we're going to add all the information in the show notes. All right, we've arrived at lightning round questions. Five quick questions. The first one is, what's your favorite hobby? And please don't say science. No, I'm kidding. You can say science. Favorite hobby is either spending time with my kids, which COVID has actually been wonderful for, or maybe surprisingly working in my garden. All right. That makes a lot of sense. And you can combine the two if your kids are interested in gardening. They're not as interested as I was at their age, which is interesting to me, but they each have their own path. All right. What's the one thing that people don't know about you? Good question. Well, since we're talking about college, my minor is in music as well. So I've majored oh, wow. in chemistry and microbiology and then minored in both economics and music as well. Wow. Are you playing any instrument? Guitar and piano. All right. Very cool. So Craig, what do you wish that you had known when you just started buying farmlands that you, you know, looking back, you could say, oh, I wish I knew X, Y, Z. I probably wish I knew how long it was going to take. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so what we say is that sustainable agriculture is a team sport. And so mm-hmm. now we're one of the 15 largest farmland managers. And so it is, you know, we've been able to attract really wonderful, talented, experienced people. But it really does take that team of great agronomists and crop experts and all of the traditional expertise of commercial real estate, you know, finance and fund management and all of that. So just really the importance and benefit of kind of building up that great team. Got it. Got it. Fortunately, I already knew to work with great people. So that was that's not key. a lesson I needed to learn here. Yeah, no, that, that's key. That's definitely key. So Craig, what's your number one advice for family offices and for investors, individual investors, that want to scale and grow their real estate portfolio this year? Great question. And I'm hesitating because we have, my family has capital to buy apartment buildings now and we're having a hard time finding good returns. We are finding good opportunities in farmland, but it's important to maintain that diversification. I think right now you have to work harder. I think that you also want to use leverage prudently and be prepared for, you know, you definitely have to keep investing because you don't know if the market's going to just keep going up, but Mm -hmm. you also don't want to go to that red line. You want to have the capital and reserve. In in farmland, we're very happy at 30% leverage, but that's our range of 30 to 50% leverage. Commercial real estate, we're typically higher than that. Yep. So it's, you know, both continue investing and make sure you have a little bit of cash in case there's some downturns and good opportunities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, Craig, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you and talk farmland with you? How can they do that? Great. Easiest way is just to go to our website, www.farmlandlp.com. And there's a bunch of information about there. There's a blog with links to other articles. We'd love to put you up there as well. So looking forward to that. And then they can also, if they reach out to us, there's an invest now button where they can learn more about our investment funds and also reach out to us to schedule a call with us. Got it. All right. Awesome. Craig, thank you so, so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. I think what you're doing is very innovative, very interesting. And again, thank you so much for your time. Ellie, wonderful speaking with you. I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Take care. And you, the listeners, I hope that you are leaving this conversation a little bit smarter and that, you know, Craig and I, mainly Craig, gave you some more tools to look at your portfolio knowing more about how you can diversify it. Be bold, guys. Be great. Keep pushing forward. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.